Cincy Reformed Podcast. My name is Zach Wise, and I'm here with my co-pastor, Brandon Burks. We are pastors at Westside Reformed Church in Cincinnati, which is a United Reformed Church uh, congregation. And this week on the Cincy Reformed Podcast, we are going to be discussing something that might be somewhat perplexing to some within our midst, and maybe a sort of a doctrine that is rarely discussed and um, delved into in much depth, especially within Protestant circles. We're going to discuss a doctrine of angels today. And so as we begin, why don't we just begin by reflecting upon the um, origin of angels. And so, Brandon, maybe you could talk to us about whether they are eternal like God is or whether they're created and flesh that out for us a little bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, when you read the creation week in Genesis chapter 1, you know, there's not like like a specific mention of the creation of angels. But we do see... Um, that angels are created beings. So, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, it says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in it, and you preserve all of them, and the hosts of heaven worships you. So they're talking about he creates not, not only the realm of heaven and earth and sea, but all that populates those realms, including the realm of heaven. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul wrote, For by him all things were created, talking about Christ, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So clearly, uh, angels are not eternal beings that somehow are co-eternal with God, but God very much created all that is in heaven, all that is on earth. But so if Zach, if that's where angels began, uh, they were created, uh, what are they like? Sure, but we need to avoid thinking about angels in, a, in human terms. And so... While they are not infinite um, or anything, they're, they're finite beings, we need to recognize that they are spiritual beings. In other words, they do not have a, a body. And so, you know, back to the uh, Colossians text in Colossians chapter 1, when it speaks about the visible and the invisible, and it goes on to speak about thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, and speaking about things not only on earth but in heaven, we're thinking about these invisible, um, powerful uh, creatures uh, that are that are angels. They're powerful because the Bible oftentimes uses language for them that uh, describes them as mighty. So, uh, for example, in Psalm 103, verse 20, they're just called the mighty ones. In Ephesians 1, they're called the powerful ones. In uh, Colossians 1, which, which we just read a second ago, verse 16, they're called authorities. And so when we think about those terms for them, but also the fact that, for example, in um, the prophecy of Daniel and Revelation and Jude, you see that they're warriors. There's spiritual, powerful beings uh, created by God. And therefore, they are uh, not like the little cute cherub that you might see in Hallmark or with the, the precious moments or something like that. 
that really don't inspire any kind of sense of awe and wonder, but rather these are something that is almost indescribable to we who are um, material in creation and do not see that uh, invisible realm. But uh, Brent, how about you tell us a little bit about that uh, term angel? We probably have associations with it that might not be connected with the associations that the ancient people would have had. So maybe tell us about angels from the just the simple term and name itself. Sure, yeah. So I mean, the word angel, um, angelos in Greek, it, it means messenger, right? So it can be translated messenger, it can be translated angel, it has the idea of an envoy. Uh, and so you know, the, the word there kind of describes the, the office or the function that the angels, the angels have, rather than speaking too much about their nature or their essence per se. Um, but um, some in you know in the Bible sometimes uh, angels are named sp specifically, like we know like the archangel Michael or Gabriel, for example. Um, but the Bible also uses other words for for angel. So, for example, uh, in Job chapter one and chapter two and chapter thirty-eight, uh, they're called the sons of God. Uh, those uh, the angelic beings are called the sons of God. Um, in First Kings twenty-two, they're called spirits. Deuteronomy thirty-three uh, and Psalm eighty-nine, they're called the holy ones. In Daniel chapter four, they're called watchers. Uh, Colossians 1, as we read, speaks of the thrones, dominions, principalities, and authorities. 1 Timothy 5 refers to them as elect angels, chosen angels. Um, so these are some various ways in which um, uh, the Bible describes names angels, again, speaking very much about the function that, that they provide. Uh, and they are you know, mentioned a fair bit in scripture. I mean, you know, from, from, from the beginning to the end, we see, we see angels. I mean, in the book of Genesis, we see angels. In the book of Revelation, we see angels. But, but how should we, we think of angels, Zach? Are they, are they everywhere? Is there like a ton of angels? Is it a sporadic thing? Are there just, just a handful of them? Does the Bible, I guess, clue us in as to how many angels are in heaven? Mm -hmm. Sure. And maybe before answering that, perhaps a clarification point to make would be that as we're talking about angels in this episode, we're talking about those that are the righteous ones and the elect ones. Mm -hmm. In the next episode of this podcast, we're going to be discussing the fallen angels, which are all otherwise called demons or unclean spirits. Mm -hmm. So just to make sure that's clear for um, our viewers and listeners. But yeah, back to the question about the, the, the number of them and how you might envision them. I think it could be useful to think initially here about some of those grand and glorious scenes from like Lord of the Rings, where you look out and you see this entire horde of, um, uh, of a battalion, of a huge host of uh, warriors and you know, military encampments, and they're all marching together and moving forward. That could be some way to begin to think about the way that the angels are then being described and depicted in terms of their number and in terms of a lot of their messenger function, that they are um, called the hosts. Uh, God is called the Lord of hosts. And the host is referring there to a military concept of just uh, you know um, thousands and thousands of um, those who are at the beck and call of the great divine warrior, Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit especially through Christ, who became our Savior. 
But um, the Bible then describes these this angelic um, host with language like, for example, 10,000 holy ones, or myriads and thousands upon thousands, or innumerable angels in festal gathering in he Hebrews chapter 12, or God's camps, or 12 legions of angels. And it kind of goes on and on to speak about this great army of God that can cover and just completely overwhelm the mountaintops. And so we should have this very awe-inspiring um, uh, idea in our minds when we think about these uh, messengers, these um, warriors that uh, the Lord um, summons to service before himself. And so beginning to mention that, how about you speak to us a little bit more about the uh, mission and purpose then of the angels? Or kind of bring us in that direction, I think, but uh, sure, flesh yeah. that out for us. Yeah, and I, and I like, you know, kind of before we get to their function and their purpose, we have this, just this grand view of how many there are. Mm -hmm. So just innumerable angels. And now we come to their function and what their mission is or purpose. Well, one is to worship, serve, and glorify God. And that's, you know, I think very clear in Scripture that angels are around God and they are worshiping and they are glorifying. Uh, so, for example, in Job 38, you know, as, as uh, uh, creation is, is, being, is, is in view, it says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, this kind of grand worship and excitement of the angels. Uh, Psalm 103.20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Um, so there they are, they're, they're, they're obeying, they're, they're serving, um, as God, as God commands them, they obey the word. Zechariah 1.10, it says that they are, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And so there we see a function of patrol, you know, as, as their this army is not just static, it's not just in camps, so to speak, but they are active. They are, they are patrolling all around the globe at all times. Um, this kind of global patrol, uh, you could say. And then in Hebrews 1.14, he said, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So God sends them out to serve, uh, and serve specifically those who will inherit salvation. So the first purpose, worship, serve, and glorify God. The second purpose, which uh, Hebrews was hinting at as well, is they are concerned with salvation. They are concerned with the things of, of the church. <clears throat> and so, for example, in Ephesians 3.10, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So as the, as, as the church gathers on a Sunday, for example, for the preaching of the word and the sacraments, there the angels are beholding the manifold wisdom of God that is put on display. So they are very much concerned with matters of the church. Um, in uh, 1 Peter 1.12, it says, It was revealed to the Old Testament prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then he says, Things to which angels long to look. Angels long to look um, back in the Old Testament era of the things that are now revealed post-Christ. Um, there was a longing of the angels for this, this kind of climactic redemption to take place and for them to see this climactic redemption take place. 
Um, Jesus even in, in Luke 15, 10, he says, So uh, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So as people come to faith, as they repent of their sin and follow Christ, there is joy, there is angelic joy in the heavenly places. So they're not uh, a disconnected spiritual being that you know is just doing whatever, but they're actually concerned for the church. They're rejoicing when someone's saved. They're there with us as we're gathered on a Sunday, beholding the manifold wisdom of God. You know, they, there was a longing for redemption to, to take place, and now a longing, presumably, for the return of Christ. And, you know, they, they long to serve and, and to see uh, this redemption take place. Um, another function of the angels is they protect. They, they are protectors. They protect the people of God. Now, we're not told like specifically that there's like a one for one, like when you're born, God assigns like one angel, you know, per human. We're not told of anything like that. In fact, it might be more helpful to think of something more like zone defense, uh, more like zone protection rather than like a minute individual one-on-one kind of protection. Um, But we see this in a few places. For example, Deuteronomy 33, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. They're presumably speaking about the angels. Um, In Matthew 18, Jesus says, see that you do not despise these little ones. So he's he's talking about babies, children, infants. Do not despise these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So it's interesting the argument that Jesus is making there. Don't despise babies, because the angels who look over babies are beholding the face of God in heaven. And so therefore, that should factor in to the way in which we view babies. Um, So kind of an interesting um, uh, thing there. And then I guess one final note, too, and this is something that Jesus makes mention of, but angels do not get married. Uh, They are unmarried. In fact, Jesus says uh, in heaven we will be like the angels in that we will be unmarried as well. Marriage, uh, we we did an episode on marriage. I can probably link that in the show notes page. But uh, marriage is something that very much points to Christ and the church points to the gospel, points to that. But once the marriage supper of the Lamb happens, once once Christ returns and and is consummated and one with his church on the new, new heavens and the new earth, their marriage doesn't point to anything else. It's been fulfilled in that sense. And so we'll be like the angels being unmarried. So, you know, Zach... The Bible speaks highly of angels. I mean, angels are doing a, a great task. They are serving. They are worshiping. They're beholding the face of God. Um, and the Bible speaks very prominently about these godly elect angels. So how should we, how should we think about them? Should we, should we worship them? Should we bow to them? Should we pray to them? Well, we should, certainly shouldn't worship them or pray to them, yes. Uh, the, that's an easy answer right there. Um, but I, I think it, it should be clear that as we are describing a, a scene here of great, spiritually powerful messengers and warriors, that it should um, lift our hearts to understand more of the grandeur and glory of the Lord of hosts rather than uh, worshiping the hosts 
because we know that they are but servants of uh, the Most High God. And so I guess that might be the thing to say at first, is that they're, they're not there for us to worship them, but rather they should direct us to the, the greater majesty and glory of the one who created them and uh, rules over them. When we think about angels, we're not thinking about uh, beings that are somehow omnipresent and everywhere. So we can't pray to them. We don't know if they can hear us, when they can hear us. We uh, don't um, summon them and beckon them and pray to them as if they could answer our various petitions because they don't respond to us. We're not their Lord. The Lord of hosts is our triune God in, in heaven. So it's, it's not worth even thinking about praying to them. Um, we don't worship them. If we would think about, for example, uh, Revelation 19 and 22, in both places, the apostle John is uh, en encounters an angelic being in his visions. And because of the, that angel's majesty, he falls down to worship the angel. And in both situations, the angel yells, no, you must not do that. You must only worship the, the one true living God. And this is why Paul in Colossians 2 can warn the church about those who would insist on the worship of angels. Or in the book of Hebrews, there's very clearly something going on uh, amongst the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews that people are trying to encourage them to worship angels. But it's very clear within Hebrews 1 and 2 that angels are not to be worshipped. But as Brandon read earlier, that they are but servants of the uh, Most High God who alone is worthy of worship. And so, yes, we should have an exalted view of angels, but it's in order to have an even higher view of the Lord of the angels, which is uh, a God himself. And so, as we begin to think of the fact that we're not to worship them, maybe, Brandon, you could reflect a bit on how we view them in relation to ourselves as human beings. Well, do we categorize them the same way, a different way? Could you speak to that a little bit? Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So we are certainly not angels, and angels aren't us. You know, we are human. Angels are angels. Angels were created angels. We were created humans. So there's you know that distinction there. Um, one theologian in the Reformed uh, tradition, Herman Bovink, I think he had a helpful um, quote here. He said, "Only human beings bear God's image." Angels do not share our organic unity in Adam's fall. They cannot be incorporated into a new redeemed body of Christ. While angels may be mightier spirits, greater in intellect and power, humans are far richer in relationships. The full image of God in all its richness is unfolded only in humanity. And so I think that's an important point to, to note. God made humans in his image. We, we, we're never told of that with the creation of the angelicos being the, the image of God. Humans are, are climactically and specially created in the image of God. And so that needs to be remembered because we have this view sometimes where we almost deify angels. And then we put ourselves at a very kind of low place. But we also, I think, we're forgetting sometimes we're made in the image of God. Angels are not made in the image of God. Angels um, serve God, but they also serve humanity. You know, God sends them out to, to, to serve us. Um, angels who have sinned with, with Satan, we'll talk about that in our next, podcast, in our next episode, but um, angels who sinned with Satan, they cannot be redeemed. There is no possibility of them being saved. 
And it's also interesting, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, humans will judge angels. You know, he's writing the church, and we don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but uh, presumably, um, when Christ comes back, we will take part somehow in judging the, those fallen angels, those angels that rebelled against God. And so um, I think that helps kind of calibrate the distinction a bit between humans and, and angels. Um, also, there's a you know, striking statement here in um, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, showing that um, God um, helps the offspring of Abraham, those, um, those, those who are in faith, those who are in Christ, uh, because he sent his son to die on behalf of fallen mankind. He did not send his son to die on behalf of fallen angels. Um, and so it's only humanity that can be saved. So, you know, there's that d distinction there. And we, we will always be human. Angels will always be angels. Even in heaven, we do not become angels in heaven. We stay human in heaven, and angels stay angels in heaven. And so uh, there's not a mixing. It would, be, it would be almost like a mixing of species of, of sort. Um, but we were created to, to be human. Um, so now, you know, kind of bringing this to a close, Zach, maybe we can just speak very practically now. Now that we kind of have a concept of angels, uh, how, how, how many there are, what their mission is, um, what they're not. Maybe you can begin to speak about practically how do they affect our day-to-day -day life, our worship, you know, when, when we wake up in the morning. I mean, how do we think about angels? Sure. I think there are a number of practical ways that we can begin to think about how this doctrine of angels ought to impact the Christian life. I think on one hand, it helps us to avoid the lie that we're being told so frequently that the material is all that exists. And so we can so easily conduct ourselves and forget that the, there is such thing as a spiritual realm, and that realm is not somehow distant from us, but it's interacting with us. Just how we are body and soul, and so we're not merely body but we have a spiritual component to us, and we can forget that and be just told, oh, you're nothing more than a super-evolved monkey or something like that. But we should also remember that the, there is a real spiritual realm that is invisible to our eyes, yet is, is every bit as real as what we see and touch and smell every single day. And so that should give us a sense of humility, I think, before God. It should give us a sense of um, uh, longing for the day when we get to see that realm, uh, knowing that uh, with uh, glorified eyes that we can behold these things and uh, to treasure them. Um, we walk by faith right now in this way and not by sight. Uh, when we think about it like this, we begin to recognize that this spiritual realm is it, there, but it should not terrify us because as Brandon was saying, these angels over against the demons are there for our help and our protection and our salvation. So we should not be uh, scared about the reality of a, a spiritual realm and component to creation, but rather we should understand with awe and reverence that we are but humble creatures of God, and we have been entrusted with limited knowledge of this creation of the heavens and the earth and all that's in them, and we should conduct ourselves with that kind of humility. I think that this uh, recognition that there are angels out there means that, as Hebrews tells us, to, to, to be mindful that 
there were some in the past who showed hospitality to uh, strangers and lo and behold, those strangers happened to be angels and telling us about both the weight of hospitality, but of the fact as well that angels are not somehow, you know, sequestered from involvement in real life, but they are involved, whether they take upon themselves a, some sort of temporary flesh, we don't know how that worked or anything like that, but they're, they're involved. Whether they do that or whether they simply remain um, uh, disembodied, that they are actively engaged uh, with uh, the created order. We should also be mindful that this involvement of angels, we'll touch on this more later in the, the next episode on demons, that the involvement of the good angels is not the only kind of involvement there is. There also are is the involvement of the uh, the angels of light. You can say the the sorry the the demons who masquerade as angels of light. Pardon me, and that they are out to deceive and to bring death uh, to, if possible, uh, the elect. And so those are some some of the more practical things in terms of the daily life. But I also think it's probably worth saying as well that this should um, help us to appreciate the what's going on in holy worship um we've talked a bit about the uh the way that the angelic hosts are there from um, hebrews chapter 12 for example that when we gather at the heavenly mount zion that there is this festal gathering of angelic hosts that are there surrounding us and perhaps one helpful um, imagery to complement this would be to think about the vision that Isaiah had in chapter 6, or also the visions that Ezekiel had in his prophecy, as he saw the, um, the, the council of angels surrounding the throne, or the two seraphim that were um, uh, crying out, holy, 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 in Isaiah uh, 6. And that kind of um, an image, I think, is helpful because one of the things that we confess within our communion liturgy at Westside Reformed Church is that our worship occurs inside the Holy of Holies. And this is the case throughout the entire service. It may be especially experienced at the Lord's Supper, but that this is a place where the high priest was able to enter, enter once per year, where the, uh, the going through the curtains that had angels stitched on them, going into the Holy of Holies where there were the two golden uh, cherubim uh, there inside that Holy of Holies. And now that the great high priest, Jesus Christ, has come, and now that we're joined to him by the Spirit through faith, we are actually in the Holy of Holies to worship God with those angelic beings that surround the throne and cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. And that should affect our worship to notice that we are directing worship not to visitors, not to ourselves, but we are enthralled with the God who is and the God who manifests himself and reveals himself to us in word and in sacrament in this age and then in the age to come no longer by faith, but then uh, by sight. And so that should really, I think, elevate our vision of what is happening in holy worship that we are entering into that place that the high priest could only go once per year, but now Christ has brought us there to give us an abode and a home in that holy place, but also that real experience of that holy place as we gather for holy worship on the Lord's Day.
Anything you might want to add to this, Brandon? One thing I did like that you mentioned was um, there's more than just angels, right, in heaven. There's uh, a lot of heavenly hosts that were that were told about in in uh, in the Bible. For example, seraphim, cherubim. There's um, a you know the the heavenly elders. There are the four living creatures. I mean, heaven is a populated place with different types of angelic uh, beings. Uh, some have six wings. We're told about you know with um, and they 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 fly about and they cover their their eyes or their feet or something. So um, and then you know how how literal some of these descriptions are can be debated. But um, point being is that heavenly I think is or heaven is is a rich. Uh, diverse place of various kinds of beings that uh, that worship God, that serve the church, that have a function, and that one day we will see um, with our with our eyes. You know, I always think about Elisha. He's on the mountain and he sees the enemy army coming, and the enemy army looks looks massive, and his army looks so small. But then God opens his eyes a bit to be able to see the spiritual realm. And then he just sees God's army of angels all around, surrounding all of the mountains. And, uh, you know, one day God will grant us that vision as well, as, as, as our eyes are then able to, to behold the seraphim, the cherubim, the elders, the four living creatures, all the, the armies of angels. And perhaps one day we'll have conversation with them. They can tell us about uh, various battles that perhaps they fought on, on our behalf. You know, we have, we have no idea, but uh, there's all the great spiritual reality that uh, is is about us, and we are clued into by God through His Word, and so it's such a great gift to be able to, to kind of uh, have God peel the curtain back uh, through His Word so that we can see these realities, because they are there, and they are just as real as anything f- physical, you know, as you mentioned. So, yeah, I thought that was helpful. But this is um, a podcast of Cincy Reformed. We are um, hosted by Westside Reformed Church, a URC congregation in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can visit us at westsidereform.org, or our past podcasts are held at cincyreform.org. So thank you for visiting with us today.